Hey everybody, I'm Cooch. And I'm Conan. Alright everybody, I'm with my partner in crime, Dr. Jeff Conan. Today we're talking about integrated leadership and how leadership spills over into the other aspects of our life. We spend so much time talking about um, leadership from an organizational sense, from an athletic training sense, and how we use leadership to advance and promote our teams, our organizations, our careers, etc. But we thought it'd be refreshing and actually kind of appropriate, especially given it's the first of the year and we're thinking about New Year's and thinking about what we're going to do in the new year and things like that, to kind of reiterate the importance of leadership across the board and how we integrate that into our lives outside of work. And two things immediately come to mind, Jeff, as, as I talk about this is, is one, in 2017, I did a, a research study with a colleague. It was published in the Athletic Training Education Journal where we looked specifically at, because this has been an issue for me for a, a large part of my career. We specifically asked athletic trainers, when and under what context do you practice leadership? And I actually divided it within work leadership behaviors and outside of work leadership behaviors. And, and of course, you know, it's been published and out there and I've actually done some talks on it, but you, you're not surprised to know. I don't think our listeners will be surprised to know that athletic trainers specifically report significantly less practice of leadership behaviors outside of their athletic training roles and inside. In other words, what that what that means to me and how I've interpreted this in the past is athletic trainers think of leadership as a hat that they wear. They put it on and they take it off. So when they walk into the office, they put the leadership hat on and they start using their leadership skills and their leadership thinking and leadership mindset and all that. And the second they clock out or they check out for the day, you know, I know athletic trainers don't ever kind of clock out, but when they're done with their formal role, they take their leadership hat off and they leave the other leadership that needs to be done in their community and in their home and in the, all their neighborhoods and all that to someone else to do. And I just wonder if that's why athletic training and athletic trainers are still kind of behind some of these other professions who don't do that. Why we're behind the eight ball. Why we're still having to explain who we are and what we do. No one asks what a nurse is or what they do. Why? Because they're practicing leadership everywhere they go. They're on the boards. They're on the PTA groups at their local communities and, and their school trips and things like this. And they're practicing leadership. Physicians, they practice leadership outside of their role. And athletic trainers just don't seem to do that. What uh, What do you think? Am I, heading, am I barking up the wrong tree here or not? No, you're 100% right. I think it goes back to an old adage way back then where we were told never bring your work home and never bring your home life and your personal life into work uh, because that was part of that so-called balance where there was this like hard line or a wall between the two. And as you and I have talked about it many occasions, it's, it's it can be a balance, but it's really an integration. It's not physically possible to completely turn one on and one off that it does carry over. Now, some things shouldn't carry over, but other things should. And this is one of those areas where your leadership and your behaviors should carry over, right? How you lead people at work to influence them should be very similar to how you lead, for example, your, your children or your relatives or your family, if possible, not always possible to, to lead all the relatives in the right direction, but, uh, but you should have similar behaviors, because that's you. You're not wearing a different hat. That's you 
regardless of where you are, whether you're in a grocery store, whether you're you know, at, the, at the CVS or Walgreens, it doesn't matter how you use your leadership and influential skills absolutely should carry on to your house. Leadership is transferable. I mean, you're talking about the siloing factor and, and, and that's what we've got to avoid. And, and so I'm going to drop a big word on everybody here because this, this is what this is. And what we're talking about actually has a name and it's called ontological leadership. Now, Boy, that sounds familiar from uh, some of our classes and readings and writings. Yeah, so we talk about that in our DAT program quite a bit. But just so our listeners know, I mean, and I did actually in uh, this last year, only only a few weeks ago, I think it came out in the in the international. I'm going to get it wrong. I, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. It's the uh, International Athletic International Journal of Athletic Training and Therapy. I wrote a, a, a piece for them that they invited me to write on contextual intelligence and ontological leadership. So uh, the reason it's important is because of what you just said. This has to do with the transferableness of leadership. So ontology, from a philosophical standpoint, is the essence and the study of the essence of being an identity, right? It's who you are. You use that phrase. It's who you are. So when I use the phrase, I am, fill in the blank, whatever that is, it becomes a, it becomes an issue of your identity. So ontological leadership is simply this. It's someone who believes they are a leader regardless of the role or position that they have or the title that they have. So ontological leadership is I am a leader. Whether or not I have the title executive director or not, I'm a leader. And that leaderness flows out of me when I'm at work. When I'm at home, when I'm in my community, whether it's the, my local church or synagogue or whatever it is, whatever my community civic involvement engagement might be, the, like I mentioned, the PTA, the Parent Teacher Association with the local community, serving on the library board in my town, whatever it might be. You know, for years I served as an executive board member for our local YMCAs, you know, outside of my role and capacity and because I am a leader. It's not something that someone has vested in me, you know, the, the authority of my organization gave me the title director of rehabilitation. So as the director, I'm a leader. Now, most of the case, I end up doing management in those positions. <laughs> hey, I was the president of the elementary school PTA one year because I was a director of sports medicine at Division One University. And I said, I need to figure out a way to spend more time with my kids. So I did that. And exactly what you just said happened. I didn't spend any more time with my kids. And I didn't spend any time leading. I spent time managing unhappy parents of other kids. But you brought up something that really resonates to me that I don't hear anybody talk about. We, we spent a lot of time differentiating between positional power and personal power. When you go home... If you're a parent, your title, mom or dad, by nature of the title is positional power. Right? How many times do parents say, you can't do this? Why? Because I said so. And that's not good leadership in your own house. If you did that at work, it doesn't go over too well. But yet we have kids growing up all over the place can't do certain things, don't even understand why they can't do those things other than the positional power of the creator of that game. That's right. You know, that's that's the that's the interesting thing. This this the dynamic of power is is 
very, very important when we talk about leadership because, because a, a, an ontological leader, someone who understands they are a leader in the essence of who they are, understands how to leverage power because we've talked about this before and maybe it's time for a full podcast on the different types of power. But, we, you know, we know there's positional power, personal power, referent power, legitimate power, informational power, and, you know, all the different types of power. A real leader understands that all of those types of power are assets in the appropriate time. I want to go back to your example of it because I said so. I've written about this. It's actually one of the examples I use in my contextual intelligence book is a real leader understands who their audience is, who they're leading, because – well, I have adult kids. You have adult kids, right? So, and um, and I can't tell my adult children because I said so anymore. You know, I have to lead them in a different way. I have to use referent power. They have to want to do what I'm asking or suggesting because of the credibility that I've shown them over my lifetime, because of their respect they have for me, because they want to, etc. But that, but when they were three years old or four years old, I was because I said so worked. And that's, that's the important part, you know, depending on who you're leading and where they're at, at whatever stage of development they're in. See, HR has done a horrible injustice to us as to leaders because this idea of fairness has, has kind of corrupted the reality of what leadership is. John Maxwell says in one of his books, and forgive me because I don't remember which one, this would be a good time to remind everybody these podcasts are completely off the cuff without any prep. Um, <laughs> But John Maxwell says in one of his books, he talks about the one of the card he talks about the seven cardinal sins of leadership. And he says one of those cardinal sins of leadership is treating everyone the same. Because a good leader understands that you don't treat everyone the same. And think about your the home example you're just using. Now I've got a three year old son and a sixteen year old son. If I'm treating them the same, something's wrong. Right. You know, I've got a wife at home, and if I treat her or if I treat other women like I treat my wife, I'm going to get in big trouble. If I do and say things to other women that I say to my wife, I'm going to get in big trouble. It it's totally makes total sense to us when we understand you can't treat everybody the same. The, the, the laws of the physical, the physics of organizational life and, and the world we live in, dictate you can't treat everyone the same yet we're creating these environments called work where it's a fictional fairyland you know we walk into the doors of our office or the workplace and all of a sudden the rules of normal life change and now i've got to treat everyone the same when that doesn't work anywhere in any time in any history or any culture but yet we're creating this artificial reality and work and now all of a sudden i've got to treat everybody the same knowing that they're not at the same stages, same development. They don't know the same things. They don't have the same capacity. You're 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 cut. You're taking away my capacity and ability to lead by doing that. Yeah, well, and this is all about knowing who your stakeholders are. We talk about this all the time, right? Uh, but but we see this in sports. What happens? Well, if a coach comes in and treats everyone the same on the team, in terms of okay, my style is yelling at people. My style is not. Well, some people will react to it in a certain way and others don't. And we see this all the time. You, you have a certain style of leadership, but it has to adjust to the individual stakeholders to understand what motivates them within the context of your surroundings, just like you said. And, and even so what? You use an age difference with kids. 
But you know what? I could have two kids that are 14 and 13. And I still might have to handle them differently and not say, well, you're getting this exact same treatment as you're getting just because you're both my kids. You, you still have to understand the stakeholder, whether they're at your job or they're in your house. And so let me ask you this, because we're, we're slowly migrating back to work. And our goal today was yes. get so much business like what, what, what do you think from a leadership standpoint as a dad? to your very successful, amazing adult kids. What's the trick? What styles have you used that you think work best? And again, they may not work for other people. This is for you personally. But what's made you have that really proud, comfortable life work integration in your setting? Yeah. So so one, it's 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 embracing that reality that one, I'm a leader regardless of, of anything else. So I made it very clear early on and, and, you know, my wife and I have a very intentional, you know, focused, you know, relationship. And I guess that's the big part is, is being a team. And I know not everybody can do that for a lot of different reasons. And I, of course, understand that, but what's, what was clear in, in my house. And one of the things that I made sure my kids understood is that, you know, mom and dad are in charge dad's in charge kind of thing. And if you don't know what you want and you can't give me a good explanation and reason as to why, then I'm making the decision and it's the final word kind of a thing. So again, you might think that, well, that's overbearing. No, not necessarily. Like I said, only if they can't give me a rationale or explanation. And that's knowing your stakeholders, like you just talked about. If they come to me and say, dad, I want to do this and here's why and here's my plan. Okay, then we can have a conversation about that. So I was very clear with them, the hierarchy of authority, what they they knew what they needed to provide for me to get what they wanted. And that that so that was a very open channel of communication. You know, we were very intentional about being open with our kids. We didn't withhold information from them. You know, we made sure that they uh, had what they needed in terms of of information resources to make an informed decision. So we applied a lot of those principles. You know, yeah, I actually talk about, I, I say it like we apply a lot of the principles that you would talk as a transformational leadership to the house, but really it's the other way around. Most of the examples that we use in corporate America are home and family based examples of how to, this is how you lead. This is how you work with your family. We even use a metaphor of my workplace family, right? I mean, it's not, I don't bring home and tell my, call my family, my workplace <laughs> team, my department, my family's not my department. No, we talk, we try to make our departments like our families yeah, and just because okay. that's where leadership really happens. And that's where the real test is. In fact, People who aren't good leaders at home are probably, you know, I would say not leading out there. They're managing. And again, this is goes to that difference. And and um, and so, you know, there's a lot of things. Again, you kind of you, you put me on the spot. I'm trying to think of what else we did here. Oh, we do put each other on the spot every time we do a podcast. I know, we I know. decide the topic before you hit record. I'll tell you this. I, I, you know, I can tell you this. So my son, you know, is um, and my older son who's, um, you know, he's married and, and grandkid on the way. I, Russ. So my first grandchild is, is on the way. They found out they grandpa were Coots. just a few weeks ago. So I'll be Grandpa Coots here. Yeah, my That's wife. A new, we have to change the title of the podcast now. Grandpa <laughs> Coots and Conan. Grandpa and Conan. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so we're excited about that. But it's funny. He sent me a text just um, 
just actually a few weeks ago and and he was like he was watching a little video youtube video on something about because he's now thinking about being a father right so he was watching the a parenting video and this particular video whatever he was watching had a piece of advice that he was keen on he actually texted me the little video clip from he said dad you did this for me you know, and this is why I'm, you know, and he was crediting me for, you know, why he's doing as well as he's doing and, and satisfied, happy with his life and his marriage and all that kind of thing. And, and what it was, was giving him boundaries. And, and what he was talking about, he goes, you, you, I, when I wanted to go crazy and make my own mistakes, he says, you never let me make my own mistakes. If, if a mistake was made and you knew of it or you made it, you made sure I knew so because I didn't. You didn't let me make my own mistakes, and, and that's something my wife and I have been very intentional about. I was, so, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm starting to get a little emotional, <laughs> but you know, it's one of those. It's one of those things that you hear after the fact because you know, while we didn't say anything explicit to our kids, my wife and I had talked for years about our philosophy was it's foolish to not learn from someone else's mistakes, you know, and they even said that, you know, a smart person, you know, learns from their mistakes, a wise person um, learns from someone else's mistakes. You know, that's a common axiom. I think it's an, an ancient proverb from some, some, you know, somewhere, but I think that's important. I'll say it again. A smart person learns from their own mistakes, but a wise person learns from someone else's mistakes. And that's something that he was saying. He said, you didn't let us make our, our own mistakes. If, if again, if it was something that you had done and screwed up, you made sure we knew that and you wouldn't let us do that. So, you know, that's another example is we were very intentional about those types of things, but that's, that's leading. And that's the same thing with anywhere you're at that works. Anywhere you're at, no matter what HR tells you, going to treating people the same. And, you know, like we said, you don't treat all women the same. My wife gets treated differently and no one begrudges me for that. No one ever would, would accuse me of not being fair or just or anything like that for not treating every wife, every woman like I treat my wife, right? They expect that. My kids, I love kids, you know, but listen, I happen to really like my kids and my kids get privileges from me that other kids don't get. No one questions that. But yet the second we go into another space, oh, if you don't treat everybody the same, it's like, but wait a second, it doesn't line up. And, and recognizing that is so important. And that's, again, bringing back into, you know, philosophical words here. That's ontological leadership is understanding that the rules don't necessarily change on who you are. And now, again, now I talk about contextual intelligence and reading the environment and discerning the different contexts you're in. That's true. Who I am as a leader is the same regardless of the context I'm in. I have to learn how to apply them differently, but that's really important. But I'm going to throw the question back at you, Jeff, because I know your kids are are hitting home runs everywhere they're going to, and there you have adult children. What What's your and Gina's secret? Well, first of all, they both hate baseball, so we can't use a baseball analogy. They find the sport to be quite boring, so we don't even talk baseball when they're around. They can't get them to go to a Rays game with me. I have season tickets, and I go solo all the damn time. But um, first of all, congratulations. That's that's pretty awesome. Being emotional is a normal response. It's, it's pretty cool. It's, a, it's another game changer, right? There's a few game changers in life, and that's going to be a game changer, and that first grandchild is going to be beyond spoiled. And um, as I told you off the air, you'll need a new uh, consulting gig on top of what you already do to 
help pay for all the things you're going to purchase. And I, and I can't remember the exact quote or where I heard it from. The quote was something like, you need to be prepared because the definition of a grandparent in the eyes of the son or the daughter is someone who does absolutely nothing right with their kid, even though they turned out pretty good somehow. So you get the idea there. Uh, how to answer the question on my end. So a lot of what you said, although I have to say in our house, there really weren't a lot of overbearing rules of who's in charge. And I think that's because uh, I don't like to be micromanaged. And I always promise that anybody raised in our house would not be micromanaged. Right. You've got a really long leash. I'm not even going to be too intrusive. I'm not that person who needs to look at your phone or your messages or your computer screens or whatever. You, you grow up and you explore. Know right from wrong and know that if you ever need anything or you have questions, you can come to me no matter how difficult, embarrassing, challenging, or, you know, you made a mistake, it's fine. It's not the end of the world. There's a, as you alluded to, that was what we call unconditional love, no matter what. I mean, how many times you, you, you turn on a TV and you see someone on trial for some heinous crime and their parents are still in the courtroom because it, it's a difficult thing. So no matter whatever happens in the child's life, you're there to support them and they need to know that. I think that's what worked in this household. Again, it doesn't work for everyone. My boys are, they'll be 25 and 23 this week. You know, we, we talk about this a lot with our, with our doc students where, and I, and I mean this sincerely, and I think you do as well. We've had a lot of success in our careers and we still, you know, want to be successful and do some more cool things, but we actually strive now on watching our students have these achievements and reach these types of things that we have. And I can say the same thing in, in the family situation. I legitimately live vicariously through my kids. Yeah. And I've talked about this in my Hall of Fame speech in Philly. The interesting thing is this. Anyone who has grown up with me in our profession, meaning, you know, the ATs we've seen for 25, 30 years, work together in committees, whatever, they know everything about my kids. They've grown up with my kids. Now, my kids didn't come to the NATA meeting every year, but I bragged about them. They knew about them all the time. They knew what they did. They knew where they are. What's interesting now is, you know, a lot of us, we're just becoming old timers. I mean, heck, you're, you're joining the group now at another level, obviously, real soon as a grandparent. A lot of people we interact with now, it's a younger profession. And, you know, these people don't know Matt Coots and Jeff Conan. They don't know that, you know, we're not just sitting in the office doing work all the time. We actually have families, very successful ones. And to watch my kids now do the things that they do literally every day is just is just a proud moment. You know, we were talking about off the air again about things that have happened in our lives with our kids. And those are gifts. They're, you know, it, it sounds cliche. Literally, when you get to this point in life, you you want, you know, you want good health and you want good things for those that are important to you. For me, What's really cool is I think almost everyone goes through this phase, right? They all listen to you. Then they go through the rebellious phase. Then you know absolutely nothing as a parent. And now they come rack around. They're like a, they have adults and they have to pay bills and all these things. And now they ask for your advice how to do all this stuff. So the relationship bond gets stronger and stronger. And it's a really cool phase of life. And and I, you know, my two boys, Matt, my two boys were. Bears as babies. I mean, <laughs> they were 
terrorists. Never, we couldn't go out to a restaurant for like three years because you couldn't sit down and enjoy a meal, nor could anybody around us. Everyone warned us like, well, just wait till they get older. It gets worse. And I got to tell you what, man, knock on wood, it never got worse. It got better every day and it continues to get better. And so I can't take the credit. I don't know if our style of raising them was what did it, but at some point, you know, every day it got better and things clicked and light bulbs went off and now it's as, as good as it's ever been. And it's just, man, it's just an awesome thing to watch them have their little wins and their successes. And, and as we started off on this podcast, it, it's because we try to be the same person. Right. How, how we lead at home and how we lead at work is the same. We want our students to be successful. We want our staffs to be successful. Or hell, we want our own kids to be successful as well. So why would we use a different approach to that if that's what we think works? Yeah, there's nothing nothing more important I think we can say from, from what we're trying to say is leadership is just not a hat you take on and off. It's, it has to be part, like you use the phrase, integrated leader. It's, it's integrated into all the different phases of our lives. And, and, you know, we spend so much time spinning our wheels trying to manage our work life, our home life. And, you know, we work, we use the phrase life, work, balance, work, life, harmony, whatever you want to call it. You know, we spend so much time trying to spin all those plates. And really, it, it doesn't work like that. I mean, they are totally a complex system. It's a complex adaptive system. They are integrated together and trying to separate them. It's a fictional thing. You can't do it. And, you know, these little wins we have, and, and I want to go back to something you said about the long leash, because we, that's another thing I think is consistent that my wife and I did with our kids is we gave an incredibly long leash. We didn't micromanage either. There was no checking Facebooks and Instagram accounts and all this kind of stuff and social media and all that. We, we had some rules and we told them what we expected, but then we let them do it. Leash was very long. And, and we, I talked about setting clear boundaries, and yes, there were boundaries, but those boundaries were enormous, and and uh, and I think that's a huge piece for us. And the other thing that you know, as you were talking, it dawned on me, I gained a lot of street credibility with my kids early on because of another particular practice, and that was telling them what to expect. And um, like, for example, you know, when my kids were younger and, and they started playing high school sports, for example, and, and now they're getting invited to parties and things like this and, and all that, I simply, I, we never said no uh, to those kinds of things. You absolutely can go enjoy yourself. You know, here's the keys to the car. If you need it, whatever, we'll drop you off, whatever that was. But here's what I want. Here's what I think's going to happen. You know, I'd lay out certain scenarios and certain things and they'd come back like, Dad, oh my God, you were right this actually happened, you know, and it happened the way you said it. And that, you know, for me, now that doesn't always work out, but in this particular case, we made a habit of that. You can try whatever you want, son. Go ahead. I am, I am your biggest fan, first of all. And they knew that. That was the other big part of successful leadership, I think. And that works, again, everywhere. I'm your biggest fan. We said it with our, with our doc students. We do the same thing. Listen, I, I've written my books. I've gave my keynotes. I've done my thing. You know, now I want, I'm teaching you how to do this. I've done it. It's your turn now. You don't need to do my research. I want to help you do your research. You know, that's where we're at. And I, I use that same thing with my kids. I'm your biggest fan. And the beautiful, the beautiful thing about that is now they're at a point where they're building their own credibility and portfolio. Right. So, yeah, dad is still here. and Dad can help you with investment ideas and other things that, you know, I've lived life through now that you haven't experienced yet. 
But, you know, for me, for example, I've got one son who's at West Point and another who serves as a backup goalie for the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're living a life that I have no clue about. Right. right? I don't know every day the, the interactions that they're having and what they're learning in those cultures that they're now sharing with me and bringing back. So I'm spending actually less time managing, mentoring, whatever word you want to use, leading. I'm listening. I'm right. learning from them. Uh, and it's a it's a role reversal that's helped, again, as I said earlier, allowing me to live vicariously through what they're doing now, creating their own life and their own successes. I mean, that's the evolution of real leadership, though. Because as your stakeholders change, as your followers change, your style has to change with it. And and then you add the context behind that and how the context changes. If we are trying to manage and rule and govern and exercise power the way we always have, we're behind. You are irrelevant. I mean, if your leadership doesn't change you're obsolete. And I think that's what's missed so much. And that's, again, one of these things that works everywhere. And, you know, owning our mistakes is another thing, Jeff. I know you've done this with your kids uh, from other conversations we've had, and we've done it with ours. And this is another leadership thing, I think, that transcends context. And that's, we were very intentional, too, about, you know, when when I made a mistake as the leader, I I owned it. You know, I owned it. And I will, I mean, I could tell you, my, both my boys will tell you there, they remember incidences specifically where I went and apologized to them for a blockheaded, stupid thing that I did or said or, or whatever. And that resonated with them. And again, this works everywhere. And, and well, it doesn't work in the federal government. <laughs> it, it, it would if it actually happened. It doesn't happen <laughs> in the federal government, but it would work if they did it. But besides that being the right thing to do, the cover-up is always worse than the crime. Always. Right? So if you're not recognizing and owning it, it only, it, it lingers and it builds and it gets worse and it destroys credibility. Yeah. I mean, if you can't, I mean, just to boil down, I know we're, we're running out of time here, but, um, you know, if you can't, we're talking about leading yourself, right? And if we can't lead ourselves, it starts with ourselves, We've got to manage and lead ourselves. We've got to inspire and motivate ourselves. I mean, how the heck, this is what blows my mind, Jeff. How the heck can you call yourself a leader and, and be in charge of inspiring and motivating other people to achieve things beyond what they can see if you aren't willing to motivate and inspire yourself to achieve things beyond what you can see? If you're always doing the I can't because or we can't because – that's the biggest red flag that you're not a leader because the leader's innate and inherent, the ontological aspect of being a leader is, no, it's it, the essence of who I am is we need to go beyond the status quo. And if you can't do that to yourself, flag strike number one. You've also got, if you can't lead your own home and your own family, and again, I know there's lots of situations, and, and obviously there's situations, just in a general sense, you need to be able to manage and love and lead the people around you well. Those are the first two big litmus tests, and only after you've shown those two things, I think, are you able and qualified to now go into stretch it out beyond those spheres and multi-sphere leadership. 
Yeah, and from a litmus test perspective, we always tell people you have to be able to measure what your successes are or your failures are. How do you know if you've achieved them or not yet? And I think, uh, you know, it's funny, you and I both, from this integration perspective, those that work with us professionally want to know how we work so much and have no free time. When do we do free things? Yet in our house, they question us, don't you ever work? And so when you've got that integration, you've got, I guess, everybody fooled or everybody believed, whichever way you want to look at it, maybe we're doing something right. And well, so you hit the nail on the head because that is the litmus test for what you just said, work-life integration. We have found a way to do that. And that's what is important. It is important. And as long as everybody recognizes that's out there listening, it's not a balance. It's an integration. And even if you want to call it a balance, it doesn't mean it's 50-50. It's what works for you in your life that helps you feel happy and balanced and as well as influencing in a positive way all those around you. You know, a, a, a counselor. So, you know, it wasn't all roses. My wife and I had to do some therapy early on, you know, and, and our counselor, I remember this. It was an epiphany for us. And, and our counselor told us, you know, you're thinking, you're thinking balance and fairness is 50 50. He goes, no, at the end of your, at the end of your marriage, at the end of your time on earth, when you look back, what you'll realize is you never had a 50 50 relationship. It was always a series of alternating 90 tens. And he goes, and hopefully at the end, You'll, you'll have has had as many 90s as she's had 10s and vice versa. And that's when it works out to be fair. But through the course and the undulation of life, it's never 50-50 all the way through. It's a series of alternating 90-10s. And for us, that was like the heavens splitting open and being like, oh, my goodness, that's absolutely right. That's how it is. And go back to what we're talking about parenting. When the kids are little, mom does the lion's share. But when the kids were teenagers, my wife will tell you, I did a huge, I, I took over the lion's share of, of all this stuff, the managing, the disciplining, the, the coaching, all that stuff. And, uh, and that's just the way it is. And now we look back and we realize we had an equal part in what happened, but it wasn't 50-50 all the way through. And so that, when you said that, that just sparked that memory. And, and I think for us, yeah, work-life balance, integration, all that, it's going to be different for everybody. But I think that's, that's for us, that's what really helped us. Well, this was fun. It was a little bit of a deviation from our, our normal 100% business life. This is a little 90-10 for us to move around, but uh, we're, we've had a great year, a, a fun ride and all the things we're doing and absolutely looking forward to a, another exciting 2023 coming up. And thanks to all of the listeners for, for following us here. This is, this is not work. This is fun for us. Uh, very impromptu and, and just real down to earth conversations. Here, here. Coots and Conan are out. <laughs>